Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Take your Bibles if you would. And actually turn to 1 Peter. We are going to begin 2 Peter, but we're going to take a little detour and do some recall in 1 Peter as we look at diligently pursue the life of Christ. Diligently pursue the life of holiness and life of Christ. For those of you who are married, do you remember all of the uh, emotions the energy and all the things that went into planning your wedding. Do you remember those days? And you remember that you get to that point where you get to the, the wedding and then the honeymoon night and you wake up the next day and you ask yourself, okay, now what? What's the next step? Or, you know, you get through high school, then you go through college and maybe some of you want a higher education. You get through all that, the day of great graduation, you wake up and you say, What's next? What's the next step? Or a big job, a big promotion. You attain something, a goal that you've wanted. You finally get it, and you ask, what's the next big step? Where do I go from here? And that's kind of what Peter is going to be talking as we get into 2 Peter. He's going to tell you what's next. What's the next step to salvation? We retain something. We attain something wonderful. We attain that which we, we desperately needed. So what's next? For many, it's like, well, I have that, and now what? As we open the letter of 2 Peter, we learn that God's grace has served as a foundation for a life of godliness to which all of us have been called. Peter is continuing the theme of his first letter, and here we are in 1 Peter, if you would. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I just want to recall some things that Peter had reminded them earlier. In chapter 2 of 1 Peter, look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We recall these words. Here's something that God has done. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Okay, now what? What's the next step? Go on in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that what they speak against you as evildoers, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on your day of visitation. Okay, but what does that mean? What does that look like? And then verse 15 of that same chapter. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So how do I do that? What does that look like? What's my next step? But now as he writes this second letter, to those elect exiles of Asia Minor, 
He reminded them of chapter 1 verses 3 through 4 that a life of godliness is rooted in and dependent upon God's grace. You have been recipients of God's grace. Now I shared last week that once we understand that God's grace is a foundation of life, of godliness, you and I are now free to live out our calling, but yet we're here and we're like, okay, now what? As we look at the passages of 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11, this, this whole paragraph that we are taking a bite into, we find three truths that come to this foundation. Now, last week we looked at truth number one, and that was that God made divine provision for all of our salvation. We learned that God has given us everything that we needed in salvation, that he has not left anything out. What we do need to be reminded of is that this gift of salvation effectively accomplishes something positive in our life. It's more than just, just a gift. It's something that affects us. We know intellectually that salvation saves us from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin itself. Yet many times we focus on the forgiveness of sins, the past, and then we look forward to the day of paradise in the future, ignoring the middle point, is that we have been delivered from the power of sin. Too many times we think of salvation as just an internal benefit. Yet Dr. Thomas Schreiner writes that eternal life is not merely the experience of bliss, but also involves a transformation so that believers are morally perfected and made like God. So at the day of conversion, when you said yes to God, it's now what? What's my next step? How do I move towards that? For you and I are very clear in our thinking and as we look at ourselves, knowing that we are not morally perfected and like Christ yet. Today we're going to cover the second point as we go through verses 5 through 7. As Peter now calls them to diligently pursue a life of holiness. We're called to diligently pursue a life of holiness. That's the what's next. This is the next steps in our Christian life. Last week I shared a quote by Dr. Steve Lawson who remarks that your godliness is more important than your giftedness and your maturity, even your ministry. Again, this builds on what Peter wrote in his first letter when he said, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, be also holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. But again, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big nut to start to crack. Be holy as God is holy. I don't even know what to do with that, to be honest with you. That's one of those things I look at and say, oh, wow, thank you. It's like, you know, a giant fruitcake and you kind of just put it over here and just say, well, I'll put it over here because I really don't know what else to do with that type of gift. And there are many Christians who have treated salvation as, oh, wow, it's a great fruitcake, uh, but I don't know what to do with it. I'll just put it over here. John MacArthur writes that the genuine Christian is eternally, you know, and don't go around saying that pastor said that salvation is like a fruitcake. If that's all you get from the message, then we're in trouble. <laughs> that, that's the one thing that'll hold in your mind, I'm sure. <laughs> but let's go on. For he says, the genuine Christian is eternally secure in his salvation. And they will persevere, persevere and grow because he's received everything necessary to sustain eternal life through Christ's power. 
Now, Peter is writing to encourage believers to continue in that grow or to continue to grow in the grace of God given to them in conversion. In other words, there is a next step. There is a next to what we need to do. He is stating that Christians must actively actively pursue spiritual maturity. So let's with that, if you want to turn your Bible for 2 Peter chapter 1, 5-7, it's here on the monitor as well. Peter writes this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness. And number seven, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So, Father, that is daunting as we read that. And as we consider our own hearts and our own minds and the struggle we have in our Christian life, we are so grateful, and I pray that we are, that we are a body who is grateful for salvation. But for many of us, we may be struggling with what's next. What's my next step? So, Father, help us as we consider that through your word. May your Holy Spirit have free reign. Give us uh, ears to hear. Let our hearts be open. And Father, may we respond to your holy word and your commands. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Now Peter is moving from reminding them about the grace of God that's found in salvation through the effective calling of the gospel, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit that gives us a new heart, enabling us to see the, the, the sea and desire the beauty of Christ from our conversion in which we repented of our dead works to justify ourselves and turned in faith towards Christ, that God has accepted the work of Christ on our behalf. He's moving from all that to a term that you and I call sanctification. Now you might recall as you look on the monitor here that sanctification is a progressive work of God. It's a progressive work of God in man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. Now this truth is captured in Romans 8.29 where Paul writes, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. So our salvation is more than just something that we attain and say here's what you have. It is to effectively do something. God's plan is to make us into the image of Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean that we will become a God, that is the error and heresy of Mormonism, but that we will pursue the moral excellence that Jesus embodied here on earth. One of the gifts of salvation is that you and I have been freed from the power of sin. Please take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we will find something that, that helps us understand the what next, the next big step. We know what sin is. We now know how it affects us. We now understand its ugliness. We now desire the things of God rather than the pleasures of this world. And we have the ability through God's grace to fight sin. So now Paul in chapter of Romans chapter 6, in verse 6, he warns us that you and I need to remember that we are now dead to sin, but alive to God. Look at verse 6 of Romans 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? Nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now I'll go to verse 11. 
So you also must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present to yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as an instrument for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Well, now then he tells him you are no longer slaves of sin. But look at verse 19 where he says you are now slaves to something else, something greater. In verse 19 of that chapter, for just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now. Present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to what? What does your Bible say? Sanctification. That progressive work of God where he makes us freer from sin and more like Christ. Look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification. And it's in. The end of sanctification is what? Eternal life. So through the Holy Spirit, Peter now builds on that to call his readers to pursue holiness in their lives. We are saved to become more like Christ. Let's go back now to 2 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 5 as we look, consider our passage. Peter writes, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Now, for this very reason, when he writes that, that refers to the very precious and great promises that he just wrote of earlier in chapter, in verses three through four, that God had given through salvation. Things like God's divine power, the all things that pertain to life and godliness, the completeness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the partakers of the divine nature and escaping from the corruption that is in the world. He says, because of that, make every effort. Because God has given us everything that you and I need to live a godly life, to take those next steps, to build upon it. Peter writes that they are to make every effort to supplement your faith again. You and I must be reminded that God's grace always precedes demands. God's grace always precedes, comes before a demand. When he called Noah to build the ark, when he called Abraham to leave his family and his country, when he called Moses to lead the people out of Israel, God provided all that they need to accomplish that. Our human exertion, is always grounded in God's merciful gifts. In other words, he will not call you to something that he's not equipping you for, that he's not giving you the provisions for. Now you say, but I'm looking in my bag of stuff here. You know, here's my bag of salvation and I'm going through and, I, and I'm not seeing it. Well, you may not see it, but God has given it to you. It's there. Dr. Lloyd Lowe joins Lloyd-Jones remarks that the Christian gospel is in the first instance does not ask us to do anything. I love that quote. He says the Christian gospel in the first instance does not ask us to do anything. It first of all proclaims and announces to us what God has done for us. It is the heralding of what God has done for us. He then goes on to declare that before man is called upon to do anything, he must have received anything. So before that call to believe on the name of Jesus or to repent and be baptized, God does something miraculous before. 
The Apostle John writes in John chapter 1, verses 12. He says, but to all those who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of will, or the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. But it's not enough for you and I just to say a simple prayer to ask Jesus into our heart or to think that salvation is just a fire insurance policy, just a way to get out of hell or a way for God to get God to work for me. Like once I accept, get, I get saved, he's now my genie or just an entrance into paradise. Now God has called us to pursue a life of holiness too many times. Those who have confessed Christ believe that all that is expected from them is just believe. And yes, the scripture does say believe, but it says much more. It doesn't matter how you live your life, some people believe. Scripture has a different perspective of what salvation is. It calls us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow him. F.F. Bruce, a pastor and theologian, declares that those, now listen to this, those who have been justified are now being sanctified, are now becoming more like Christ. Those who have no experience, and here's the warning, those who have no experience of sanctification have no reason to suppose that they have been justified or been made right with God. Those are dangerous, damning words. And we're going to share a little bit more, like, more of that as we go through this passage. But you and I have to realize, if we are not in the process of becoming more like Christ, then you have no expectation that you've actually been made right with God. But again, that's a struggle because then what do I do? How do I know these things? Now, Peter goes on to say, not only to make, but he says, make every effort. Now, for those of us in the reform camp, this becomes a little bit difficult. This becomes a little challenging. But what you and I must understand here, Peter is not writing about self-improvement or moral righteousness. There are two errors one can make when concerning our works, doing our good works, or being good conduct, or living as servants of Christ. The first one is the justification, not by grace, but justification by works. This error assumes that you and I can add to our old nature. In other words, our old nature stays here. And what we do is we just add good works to it. And we add all these things, uh, character traits and so on and so forth, to make ourselves like Christ and to justify ourselves before a holy God. So this is a adding on to try to balance out maybe the evil within me. And so if I do enough good works, if I do enough of these things, then I'm justified by my works. That's an error. It's wrong. The second one, though, <coughs> is almost on the other side. That's to believe in the works of Christ and then do nothing. This here assumes that all they must do to believe or is to believe the facts about Jesus without any transformation of their nature and character. I just accept Jesus and now I can live my life as it I did before. They would contend that no action is needed. How they behave is actually unimportant and does not matter. Both of those on different spectrums of the line are an error and wrong. What Peter means is godly character does not emerge from passivity. And that's something you and I have to remember. Is we believe, well, I just get saved and then I let go and let God. I just have to save here and when I go to bed, it's like 
God just miraculously works. And when I wake up, boy, I'm more like Christ. That's how we seem. But nothing emerges from that. Becoming like Christ will take effort. It will be difficult. It will be hard work. Battling sin, denying yourself, fleeing from your passion takes effort. So Peter is here saying, make every effort. Work at it. Paul would say that he would beat his body into subjection. Why? So he may not disqualify himself. It's kind of an illustration of farming. Think of working on a farm. You have the farm, you have the land, but then you need all the implements to, to work a farm. Well, think of this way. God gives us the land. He gives us the implements to work, the intellect to make those, to understand it, to work the farm. And he gives us the seed. You and I are called to farm, to do the work. However, even in our diligence in doing so will not always bring the results. You and I can clear the land, we can plow the field, we can plant and we can seed and we can fertilize. But what we find from scripture and from nature that it's only God that provides the sun and the rain that causes things to grow. The Apostle Paul reminded the Corinthians, so neither he who plants nor waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So you're not going to work your way to becoming more like Christ, but there's a sense in which God says, I'm going to give you everything that you need, every tool, every heat, every rain that you need to become like Christ, but you're going to have to work the land. You're going to have to till, you're going to have to plow deep into your heart to expose those rocky and hard places and let that seed drive deep. And then God says he brings the rain and growth comes. Peter is informing them that sanctification will take dedication. When he writes to supplement, he's using a Greek word that means to give lavishly and generously. Think of a wedding. Think of a, a father who's putting on the wedding, paying for the wedding of his daughter. And he spares no expense. He gets all the great flowers and the decorations, provides the music and all the food, the tables, the chairs, the venue, all of those things. And he has all the money to work with and he lavishly provides. Why? Because he loves his daughter and he wants to provide her all that he can. In the same way, you and I have need to use all that is within us, our time, our energy, our dreams, and our aspirations. What Peter is telling them, to dedicate yourself, to give generously of your time, your energy, and your gifts, and your very being to become more like Christ. How do you spend that time, your money, your energy? What are your dreams and aspirations? Are they about becoming more like Christ or is it more about attaining more of what this world has to offer? What is it? I think you and I fail many times that way. It ought to be our aspiration, our goal, our resolution is to become more like him each and every day and to pursue that with the vigor that you and I pursue our own goals and to attain our own happiness. We need to pursue it with the same effort that we pursue a job or pursue a spouse or pursue something is we ought to pursue the goodness and excellence of Christ. Now with that being said, he begins to tell them to supplement your faith. Faith is the foundation of our salvation. It is the gift of regenerated heart. Jake, are we back online? 
Can we go to uh, the Hebrews chapter 11? I want us to take a look at the importance of faith, why he starts. He says you need to supplement your faith. Look at this passage. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the convictions of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what it was seen was not made out of things that are visible. We understand this. But look at verse 6. And it continues there. And without faith it is what? Impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. As you can see from this passage... Faith is not something that you and I have within ourselves. And I think this is something we, know, we have to understand. If I only had faith, you hear that all the time. you got to have more faith. Well, you have to recognize when it comes to biblical faith, you and I do not have faith within ourselves. If we did, if we had faith within ourselves, then you and I could please God. But yet we can't. So faith, we must recognize, is not something that we attain from our own merit, but it itself is a gift from God. We see it in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith is a gift of God, not of works. So what you and I think is, well, salvation is a gift. Well, no, that whole phrase. You are saved by grace through faith. That is the gift of God, not just salvation. Faith itself. For by the grace given to me, Paul says in Romans, I say to everyone not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according, listen to this, the phrase, to the measure of faith that God has assigned them. Hence why I've encouraged you from this pulpit and from other teaching venues that we have here is pray for more faith. If you're battling in your sin, if you're struggling in it, Pray for more faith. Pray for more faith. Let me break it down. Faith is a confident trust in the person and the promises of God. It's a confident trust in the person of who God is and in his promises. And that comes only after the Holy Spirit has regenerated our hearts. He's made us born again. He has made us alive. Without that gift, you and I would never be able to taste and see that God is good. And so you and I must realize that that faith, that is the, the important part that you and I need. But yet he now goes on to say, you have your faith. Now you need to build upon it. Peter goes on to tell them that now that God has given you faith, you need to add to it. And he lists seven traits to add to our faith. These traits have been called the ladder of faith or the steps of faith. You'll see them here on the screen. we got faith and then virtue and then knowledge and self-control and steadfastness, goodness, brotherly affection with love. And let's just hold that up there for just a moment, Jake. As our the one theologian reminds us, though, that this is not to be taken as a precise order or as if one is to work on one thing only to be moved on to the next when you've completely mastered the one. In other words, it's not, well, now I need to work on virtue and then once I have virtue, I'll work on knowledge. So I'm sorry, I can't brotherly love you until I've got this knowledge done. Well, let me give you a word of knowledge. That's wrong. So it's not talking about this is something that you build up to, but it's just giving you a picture here as these are the things that build upon one another that lead to love. See, faith is the foundation and then love is the climax of all of that which happens. That's how we love. So what we see here is that these contend, and I, and I would have to say that I don't believe that these are all uh, exclusive as well. 
I believe with one other theologian, he says these traits can be grouped into three dispositions. Uh, the character, an inward and outward dispositions. So the first two is you look at faith and virtue. Faith is the things of the character of faith. What makes our faith stronger? Virtue is moral power. It's a vigor. It's, it's not being passive, but interjected, energetic. It's the pursuit of goodness and godliness. It's that thing that says, I want to hold up to the moral excellence of God. Knowledge is not speaking of intellect of, or academic or brain power, but a growing understanding of God. So virtue and knowledge work to make faith stronger as we come to know God and we continue to pursue him. He then goes on to the next two, self-control and steadfastness is an inward disposition. In other words, it's something within you. Self-control, obviously, is just learning to discipline oneself, to fight sin, to do those things that Christ has called us to do. And you and I struggle with that. Self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the things that God has called us to. And then steadfastness is that of just endurance, to be patient, to endure those things. So with it, God has called us inwardly that you and I need to add to our faith a way in which we're self-disciplined, and we're enduring suffering. We're enduring the hostility of a world that doesn't understand our faith. He then goes on to say that the next two then is our outward display. It's an outwardly, or I'm sorry, the next three is our outward disposition. How we treat others. That's godliness. That's a sense of devotion and piety. Brotherly affection. That's typically to love and care for fellow believers in the church of God with love. And then love, that's the generosity and caring for others. We call it serving others with, or serving the needs of others. So as we see there, we see this is, has something to do by what we add to our faith. And then it's how we are inside and how we express ourselves as it comes out through love. The ESV study Bible notes that Peter exhorts Christians not merely to confess faith to Christ, but actually to live as he taught. Well, what, how, how unique is that? He's not saying that works are a prerequisite for salvation, but rather he's arguing that faith must take a concrete form in life. In other words, the way that we are inside, the, are, are we steadfast? Are we self-controlled? Is it very evident? And the way that we live our lives to others, how they exp, uh, uh, perceive us, must be concrete. It must be something that says they have faith. All virtues here, as we look at this, are results of faith. And faith is listed first, while love is the ultimate result of faith is listed last. Now, these traits are important because they're contrary to how the false teachers are living. The apostle Paul had warned the believers in Galatia that the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enemy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we have here a stark contrast of these things. Now, if you're like me, if you, if you look at those things, this ladder of faith, it looks and sounds daunting. Myself, I struggle many times with just the basic, basic function of just trying to please God by reading the Bible, praying, and just loving others. Now I learned that I'm to make an earnest effort in adding virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness along with godliness and brotherly affection and love. How can I do that? There's only 24 hours in a day and I have to sleep at least 13 of those. How in the world am I going to do those things? 
I don't understand. Thank you. I'm with you. It sounds difficult, time-consuming, and if we're honest, even impossible. Even impossible. Because if you're with me today and you go to the bed at night in that dark part of the soul and you look in the mirror, you don't see those things. And you despair if you could even be just one. But I want to challenge you and encourage you, Christian, that Christ has given you all that you need to become like him. Now, this is not a race to the top. You don't get to love and then just get to go to heaven. Wouldn't that be cool? That might put some motivation in there. This is a lifetime. And even then, you and I will not attain to the fullness of God until he comes. So this here is next step. Am I becoming more? And next week we're going to talk a little bit about that as we increase in these things. And, and they are measures of whether or not we are in the faith. But you and I must remember that sanctification is a progressive work of God. It means that we're ever growing. Now there may be times in which you're growing and then you take a step back. And then you grow a little bit more and then you take a few steps further back. And it seems like many times you're just kind of like going back and forth. That's the Christian life. But this is our goal. This is what we should be looking for. This is the image of who God is, of Christ. This is the example. But you and I must remember also that this is the progressive work of God and man together. We are not alone in this pursuit. And Jake, if we can go to our next slide, please. I want to share you very quickly. That God has a role in this. The Father's role in this is that he gives us the gifts and he dis, uh, dis, uh, disciplines us when we go past, when we are not good, when we are not self-controlled. God disciplines us in his love through his word. Jesus, who earned our righteousness, enabling us now to do good works that do not justify us, but make us more like him. And he gives us an example of what godliness looked like, what steadfastness looked like what self-control looks like. Our, the Holy Spirit then works within us, empowering us, helping us to become more like that. That's God's role. Now our role is two ways. It's passive. One, it's which we depend on God and we trust and yield and pray for more of him to come in us. But there's also an active role that we play and that's striving to obey God, striving for holiness. So in our striving, we still are resting in him, recognizing that I can farm the land. I can plow my heart. I can put the seed. I can continue to do the things that God has called me to do. But yet, I still must wait on him to water it and to cause it to grow. So that we may see the fruit of the spirit that others may pick, that may be exhorted and encouraged. So when you're in this battle, recognize that there is God's role and there's your role. And you need to play in those parts. Let me share with you scripture. And I want to close with these things. Let me share with you scripture what your active role is. Because that's where you and I need to be. What is our active role? Well, there's three steps. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 24. It's here on the monitor. Paul writes to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, 
and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's three things here. You and I see it. It's almost like, uh, it's, 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 we're going to see, it's almost like uh, someone who's worked very hard, finds himself in muddy, dirty clothes, and then what he needs to do to get right is he needs to take off clothes, clean himself, and put on his new ones. So he gives us three things. First is, is put off the old self. We need to put off the earthly desires and the works of the flesh. Paul says, put to death what is earthly in you. For these things, the wrath of God is coming. He says, you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. He says, do not lie one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. In other words, there are old ways in which you live and think. The old way in which you used to spend your money, to spend your time, to entertain yourself. Those things in which you pursued happiness. He's saying you need to put those things away. Because there are the things of the world, not the things of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He calls us, you need to put those things. So you and I need to do the hard work of what are those things that I love and that I'm pursuing that are not of God. And you don't have to do the guesswork. He tells you sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And I have to tell you, God showed me something. Well, I want to be careful saying that phrase. I saw something through Paul's writing. I actually realized that the majority, the root of most of my sin, the root of most of my sin is actually covetousness. And that's what Paul said. He said, I thought I did the law until I recognized covetousness. And that just like an alarm bell went off my head. Yeah, because I desire things that I don't have. And so I pursue them unhealthily, sinfully. And yet when I grasp them, it's just like air. They just, it's no good. It's rotten. So you need to do the hard work of seeing those things that are not of God. And you need to put them away. You need to kill them. I love what Baxter said. You mortify and put them to death. The second thing that we need to do is to renew our mind. We need to add new, goal, new goals. He says, seek those things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things in the earth. Jesus had prayed for his disciples, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. In other words, you and I, in our old life, in our old body of sin, you and I have a way of thinking. When you and I are converted, that's when we repent of our sin and turn and put our faith in Christ. That's what conversion is. When you and I do that, our mind doesn't go through a mind wipe. We don't get a mind meld with God, you know, Vulcan style. And where he just jacks everything down matrix style and says, wow, I know Kung Fu. It doesn't happen that way. Wouldn't that be cool though? I'm praying for that. I guess that happens at glorification. But until that day, you and I need to look at the way that we look at things, the way that we consider things, the way that you and I make decisions. Are they with God's word? So how do you renew your mind? It's only through God's word. You have got to saturate yourself with the things of God. And if you find yourself watching things uh, and saturating your mind with things that are of the world, then you, that's the thing that you need to put off. It may need to be cut off like a hand or a foot. We need to saturate ourselves with the word of God and the things of God. And I'm so thankful that today, uh, more so than the 80s and the 90s, we have good Christian music that just edifies the soul that's more scripturally rich than there ever was when I grew up 
uh, trying to do these things. And so I'd encourage you find music from Sovereign Grace and from, uh, so I don't know, you know, see Dustin, he can give you a list of some of the good ones. It's not going to come in my mind at the moment, but probably everything that we sing here comes from those types of sources. Put it on while you're, while you're uh, driving to work. Now, some of us, <laughs> and here's the funny thing. This is how sin works, right? We're doing, uh, before the throne of God, we're singing as we're driving, I had a simple plea. Hey, what are you doing, you idiot? You know, and then we go back to singing. Now, you can't, you'll find those things become less and less. Um, but saturate your mind, renew your mind. And thirdly, as he says, put on the new self. It's not enough just take things off and then just renew your mind. You got to put on the things that God has says. He says, put on the new self. And what's that new self? It's all those things that God has given us. It's the manner and it's the mind of Christ to put on the whole armor of God, to put on Christ and to reproduce the fruits of the spirit. So here I'm challenging you this morning. Paul has called you to make every effort to lavishly supplement your life, your faith with virtue, with goodness. And I don't remember all of them without the thing. Goodness and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness. These are the things, godliness. These are the things we need to build on our lives. Why? Because that's what the Christian life is. Too many self-confessed people who profess Christ are just living lives that are ungodly. And they're not leading anyone to Christ. Their good conduct is not among the Gentiles. They're not living as servants of God. As for you and I in OVBC, we need to become the people that Christ has called us to. Why is this important? Let me just leave you with 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21. Would you look at this with me? You know, and I'm going to ask you to read it out loud. Can you read that? Is that big enough for you? Would you just read out loud with me with that? Ready? Therefore... If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Amen. Let us commit today to being useful to God, to accomplish the work of the ambassador of Christ, sharing the good news, living life together, serving needs with love, and sharing the gospel. Let's do that this morning. It begins as we recognize that we must make every effort to supplement our faith with the examples of Christ. With every head bowed, every eye closed, just leave you with these last words. God wants you to understand that there's more to the Christian life than receiving forgiveness of sin and a new eternal home. You and I are called to pursue a life of godliness. God wants you to believe that if you repented from your sin and trust in Christ, that God has given you all that you need to live that life of holiness. God wants you to desire to live a life pleasing to him more than pleasing yourself. And he wants you to desire to become like Jesus. And I would pray that that would be your desire today. God wants you to put off your old self, forsaking your old habits and desires. He wants you to refocus your dreams, your aspirations, and your hopes on his promises to put on the new self by adding to your faith the fruits of the Spirit. It is through these, this effort that God will bless us and make us into the image of His Son that you and I commit this morning to supplement our faith and grow in grace as servants 
of the living God. Would you take a moment to pause, consider, to pray, and respond to the Holy Spirit's call. Father, you're a good father. In your love and in your rich mercy, you have saved us from our sin. You have opened our hearts. You have given us a faith that we may be able to turn and trust you. And Father, with that, you have now called us to obey you to pursue holiness in our lives. Father, I pray that you would strengthen our hearts and minds and we may do so today. Show us the things that we need to put off. Give us a deeper taste and hunger for your word that we may renew our mind, that we may transform the way that we think. And Father, that we may put on those gifts that you have given us, that we may look more like you. Help us in our effort, but also keep us from thinking that our effort justifies us. Let us bathe in your good goodness. And Father, may we then come clean, desiring to be useful for you, We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.